What if a cat could write? What do you think it would write? Perhaps bring back food or else? <laughs> well, in today's episode, a cat writes to its owner in a series of letters. From the book Letters from My Cat by Helen Hunt. This is a continuation of a previous episode where I cover off the very first letter. Here, though, we witness the adventures of this cat where she thinks that her home is being ransacked, begins to fall for another cat, and finds something else that she hates more than water. Mates, this is a lighter set of tales to put a smile on your face and ease you into the weekend of relaxation. So turn the sound up, get cozy, and reach out to your inner cat self. <laughs> Enjoy. Letter 2 My dear Helen, I do wish that you and your father would turn around directly, wherever you are, when you get this letter and come home as fast as you can. If you do not come soon, there will be no home left for you to come into. I am so frightened and excited that my paws tremble, and I have upset the ink twice and spilled so much that there is only a little left in the bottom of the cup, and it is as thick as hasty pudding, so you must excuse the looks of this letter, and I will tell you as quickly as I can about the dreadful state of things here. And not more than half an hour after I finished my letter to you yesterday, I heard a great noise in the parlour and ran in to see what was the matter. There was Mary, with her worst blue handkerchief tied over her head, her washing-day gown on, and a big hammer in her hand. As soon as she saw me, she said, There's that cat, always in my way, and threw a cricket at me, and then shut the parlour door with a great slam. So I ran out and listened under the front windows, for I felt sure she was in some bad business, of which she did not want to have known. Such a noise I never heard. All the things were being moved, and in a few minutes, what do you think? Out came the whole carpet right on my head. I was nearly stifled with dust, and felt as if every bone in my body must be broken. But I managed to creep out from under it, and heard Mary say, If there isn't that torment of a cat again, I wish to goodness Helen had taken her along. Then I felt surer than ever that some mischief was on foot, and ran out into the garden, and climbed up the old apple tree at the foot of the steps, then crawled out on a branch, from which I could look directly into the parlour windows. Oh, my dear Helen, you can fancy how I felt, to see all the chairs and tables and bookshelves in a pile in the middle of the floor, the books all packed in big baskets, and Mary taking out window after window as fast as she could. I forgot to tell you that your mother went away last night. I think she has gone to Hadley to make a visit, and it looks to me very much as if Mary meant to run away with everything which could be moved before she got back. After a while, that ugly Irish woman who lives in Mr. Slater's house came into the back gate. You know the one I mean. The one that threw cold water on me last spring. When I saw her coming, I felt sure she and Mary meant to kill me while you were all away. So I jumped down out of the tree and split my best claw in my hurry and ran off into Baker's Grove, staying there all the rest of the day in a dreadful misery from cold and hunger. There was some snow in the hollows and I wet my feet, which always makes me feel wretchedly. 
and I could not find anything to eat except a thin, dried-up old mole. They are never good in the spring. Really, nobody does know what hard lives we cats lead, even the luckiest of us. After dark, I went home, but Mary had fastened up every door, even the little one in the back shed. So, I had to jump into the cellar window, which is a thing I never like to do, since I got that bad sprain in my shoulder from coming down on the edge of a milk pan. I crept up to the head of the kitchen stairs, and still as a mouse, if I'm any judge, and listened there for a long time, to try and make out from Mary's talk with the Irishwoman what they were planning to do. But I couldn't understand Irish, and although I listened till I had cramps in all my legs from being so long in one position, I was no wiser. Even the things Mary said I could not understand, and I usually understand her very well. I passed a very uncomfortable night in the carrot bin. As soon as I heard Mary coming down the cellar stairs this morning, I hid in the arch, and while she was skimming the milk, I slipped upstairs and ran into the sitting room. Everything there is in the same confusion. The carpet is gone, and the windows too, and I think some of the chairs have been carried away. All the china is in great baskets on the pantry floor, and your father and mother's clothes are all taken out of the nursery closet and laid on chairs. It is very dreadful to have to stand and see all this and not be able to do anything. I don't think I ever fully realized before the disadvantage of being only a cat. I have just been across the street and talked it all over with the judge's cat, but she is very old and stupid, and so taken up with her six kittens, who are the ugliest I ever saw, that she does not take the least interest in her neighbor's affairs. Mrs. Hitchcock walked by the house this morning, and I ran out to her, and took her dress in my teeth and pulled it, and did all I could to make her come in, but she said, No, no, pussy, I'm not coming in today. Your mistress is not home. I declare I could have cried. I sat down in the middle of the path and never stirred for half an hour. I heard your friend, Hannah Dorrance, say yesterday that she was going to write to you today, so I shall run up the hill now and carry my letter to her. I think she will be astonished when she sees me, for I am very sure that no other cat in town knows how to write. Do come home as soon as possible. Your affectionate pussy. P.S. Two men have just driven up to your front gate in a great cart, and they are putting all the carpets into it. Oh dear, oh dear, if only I knew what to do. And I just heard Mary say to them, Be as quick as you can, for I want to get through with this business before the folks come back. Letter 3 My dear Helen, I am too stiff and sore from a terrible fall I had had to write more than one line. But I must let you know that my fright was very silly, and I am very much mortified about it. The house and the things are all safe. Your mother has come home, and I will write and tell you all, just as soon as I can use my pen without great pain. Some new people have come to live in the Nelson house. Very nice people, I think, for they keep their milk in yellow crockery pans. They have brought with them a splendid black cat whose name is Caesar, and everybody is talking about him. He has the handsomest whiskers I ever saw. I do hope I shall be well enough to see him before long, but I wouldn't have him see me now for anything. Your affectionate pussy. Letter 
4. My dear Helen, There is one thing that cats don't like any better than men and women do, and that is to make fools of themselves. But a precious fool I made of myself when I wrote to you that long letter about Mary's moving out all the furniture and taking the house down. It is very mortifying to have to tell you how it all turned out, but I know you love me enough to be sorry that I should have had such a terrible fright for nothing. It went on from bad to worse for three more days after I wrote you. Your mother did not come home, and the awful Irish woman was here all the time. I did not dare to go near the house, and I do assure you I nearly starved. I used to lie under the rose bushes and watch as well as I could what was going on. Now and then I caught a rat in the barn, but that sort of hearty food never has agreed with me since I came to live with you and became accustomed to a lighter diet. By the third day I felt too weak and sick to stir, so I lay still all day on the straw in Charlie's stall, and I really thought, between the hunger and the anxiety, that I should die. About noon I heard Mary say in the shed, I do believe that everlasting cat has taken herself off. It's a good riddance anyhow, but I should like to know what has become of the plaguey thing. I trembled all over, for if she had come into the barn, I know one kick from her heavy boot would have killed me, and I was quite too weak to run away. Towards night I heard your dear mother's voice calling, Poor pussy, why, poor pussy, where are you? I assure you, my dear Helen, people are very much mistaken who say, as I have often heard them, that cats have no feeling. If they could only know how I felt at that moment, they would change their minds. I was almost too glad to make a sound. It seemed to me that my feet were fastened to the floor, and that I, and that I never could get to her. She took me up in her arms and carried me through the kitchen into the sitting room. Mary was frying cakes in the kitchen, and as your mother passed by the stove, she said in her sweet voice, You see, I have found poor pussy, Mary. Humph, said Mary. I never thought but that she'd be found fast enough when she wanted to be. I knew that this was a lie, because I had heard what she said in the shed. I do wish I knew what makes her hate me so. I only wish she knew how I hate her. I really think I shall gnaw her stockings and shoes some night. It would not be any more than fair, and she would never suspect me. There are so many mice in her room, for I never touch one that I think belongs in her closet. The sitting room was all in most beautiful order, a smooth white something like the side of a basket over the whole floor, a beautiful paper curtain, pink and white, over the fireplace, and white muslin curtains at the windows. I stood perfectly still in the middle of the room for some time. I was too surprised to stir. Oh, how I wished that I could speak and tell your dear mother all that had happened and how the room had looked three days before. Presently, she said, Poor pussy, I know you are almost starved, aren't you? And I said, Yes, as plainly as I could mew it. Then she brought me a big soup plate full of thick cream and some of the most delicious cold hash I ever tasted. And after I had eaten it all, she took me in her lap and said, Poor pussy, we miss little Helen, don't we? And she held me in her lap till bedtime. Then she let me sleep on the foot of her bed. It was one of the happiest nights of my life. In the middle of the night, 
I was up for a while and caught the smallest mouse I ever saw out of the nest. Such little ones are very tender. In the morning, I had breakfast with her in the dining room, which looks just as nice as the sitting room. After breakfast, Mrs. Hitchcock came in, and your mother said, Only think how fortunate I am. Mary did all the house cleaning while I was away. Every room is in perfect order. All the woolen clothes are put away for the summer. Poor pussy here was frightened out of the house, and I suppose we should all have been if I had been at home. Can you imagine how ashamed I felt? I ran under the table and did not come out again until after Mrs. Hitchcock had gone. But now comes the saddest part of my story. Soon after this, as I was looking out of the window, I saw the fattest, most tempting robin on the ground under the cherry tree. The windows did not look as if they had any glass in them, and I took it for granted that it had all been taken out and put away upstairs. With the anderons and the carpets, for next winter, I knew that there was no time to be lost if I meant to catch that robin, so I ran with all my might and tried to jump through. Oh my dear Helen, I do not believe you ever had such a bump. I fell back nearly into the middle of the room and it seemed to me that I turned completely over at least six times. The blood streamed out of my nose, and I cut my right ear very badly against one of the casters of the table. I could not see nor hear anything for some minutes. When I came to myself, I found your dear mother holding me, and wiping my face with her own nice handkerchief wet in cold water. My right forepaw was badly bruised, and that troubles me very much about washing my face and about writing. For the worst of all is the condition of my nose. Everybody laughs who sees me, and I do not blame them. It is twice as large as it used to be, and I begin to be seriously afraid it will never return to its old shape. This will be a dreadful affliction, for who does not know the nose is the chief beauty of a cat's face? I have got very tired of hearing the story of my fall told to all the people who come in, they laugh as if they would kill themselves at it, especially when I do not manage to get under the table before they look to see how my nose is. Except for this, I should have written to you before, and would write more now, but my paw aches badly, and one of my eyes is nearly closed from the swelling of my nose, so I must say goodbye. Your affectionate pussy. P.S. I told you about Caesar, did I not? In my last letter... Of course, I do not venture out of the house in my present plight, so I have not seen him except from the window. Letter 4 My dear Helen, I am sure you must have wondered why I have not written to you for the last two weeks. But when you hear what I have been through, you will only wonder that I am alive to write to you at all. I was very glad to hear your mother say yesterday that she had not written to you about what had happened to me, because it would make you so unhappy. But now that it is all over, and I am in a fair way to be soon as well as ever, I think you would like to hear the whole story. In my last letter, I told you about the new black cat, Caesar, who had come to live in the Nelson house, and how anxious I was to know him. As soon as my nose was fit to be seen, Judge Dickinson's cat, who is a good, hospitable old soul, in spite of her stupidity, invited me to tea, and asked him too. All the other cats were asked to come later in the evening, and we had a grand frolic, hunting rats in the judge's great barn. 
Caesar is certainly the handsomest and most gentlemanly cat I ever saw. He paid me great attention. In fact, so much that one of those miserable half-starved cats from Mill Valley grew so jealous that she flew at me and bit my ear till it bled, which broke up the party. But Caesar went home with me, so I did not care. Then we sat and talked a long time under the nursery window. I was so much occupied in what he was saying that I did not hear Mary open the window overhead, and was therefore terribly frightened when there suddenly came down on us a whole pailful of water. I was so startled that I lost all presence of mind, and without bidding him good night, I jumped directly into the cellar window by which we were sitting. Oh, my dear Helen, I can never give you any idea of what followed. Instead of coming down, as I expected to on the cabbages, which were just under that window the last time I was in the cellar, I found myself sinking, sinking in some horrible, soft, slimy, sticky substance, which in an instant more would have closed over my head and suffocated me. But fortunately, as I sank, I felt something hard at one side, and making great effort, I caught on it with my claw. It proved to be the side of a barrel, and I succeeded in getting one paw over the edge of it. There I hung, growing weaker and weaker every minute, which, with this frightful stuff running into my eyes and ears, and choking me with its bad smell, I mewed as loud as I could, which was not very loud, for whenever I opened my mouth, the stuff trickled into it off my whiskers, but I called to Caesar, who stood in great distress at the window, and explained to him, as well as I could, what had happened to me, and begged him to call as loudly as possible, for if somebody did not come very soon and take me out, I should certainly die. He insisted at first on jumping down to help me himself, but I told him that would be the most foolish thing he could do. If he did, we should certainly both be drowned. So he began to mew at the top of his voice, and between his mewing and mine, there was noise enough for a few minutes. Then windows began to open, and I heard your grandfather swearing and throwing at the stick of wood at Caesar. Fortunately, he was so near the house that it did not hit him. At last, your grandfather came downstairs and opened the back door, and Caesar was so frightened that he ran away, for which I have never thought so well of him since, though we are still very good friends. When I heard him running off, and calling back to me, from a distance, that he was so sorry he could not help me, my courage began to fail, and in a moment more, I should have let go of the edge of the barrel, and sunk to the bottom. But luckily, your grandfather noticed that there was something very strange about my mewing, and opened the door at the head of the cellar stairs, saying, I do believe that cat is in some trouble down there. Then I made a great effort and mewed still more piteously. How I wished I could call out and say, Yes, indeed I am! Drowning to death! In I'm sure, I don't know what, but something a great deal worse than water! However, he understood me as it was and came down with a lamp. As soon as he saw me, he set the lamp down on the cellar bottom and laughed so that he could hardly move. I thought this was the most cruel thing I ever heard of. If I had not been, as it were, at death's door, I should have laughed at him, too. 
for even with my eyes full of that dreadful stuff, I could see that he looked very funny in his red nightcap, and without his teeth. He called out to Mary and your mother, who stood at the head of the stairs. Come down, come down, here's the cat in the soft soap barrel. And then he laughed again, and they both came down the stairs laughing, <laughs> even your dear, kind mother, who I never could have believed would laugh at anyone in such trouble. They did not seem to know what to do at first. Nobody wanted to touch me. And I began to be afraid I should drown while they stood looking at me. For I knew much better than they how weak I was from holding onto the edge of the barrel so long. At last, your grandfather swore that oath of his. You know the one I mean. The one he always swears when he is very sorry for anybody. And lifted me out by the nape of my neck holding me as far from him as he possibly could, for the soap ran off my legs and tail in streams. He carried me into the kitchen and put me down in the middle of the floor, and then they all stood around me and laughed again, so loud that they waked up the cook, who came running out of her bedroom with a tin candlestick and the chair in her hand, thinking that robbers were breaking in. At last, your dear mother said, Poor pussy, it is too bad to laugh at you. When you are in such pain. I had been thinking so for some time. Mary, bring the small wash tub. The only thing we can do is to wash her. When I heard this, I almost wished they had left me to drown in the soft soap. For if there is anything of which I have a mortal dread, it is water. However, I was too weak to resist, and they plunged me in all over into the tub full of ice-cold water. And Mary began to rub me with her great rough hands, which I assure you are very different from yours and your mother's. Then they all laughed again to see the white lather it made. In two minutes, the whole tub was as white as the water under the mill wheel that you and I have so often been together to see. You can imagine how my eyes smarted. I burnt my paws once in getting a piece of beefsteak out of the coals where it had fallen off the gridiron. But the pain of that was nothing to this. You will hardly believe me when I tell you that they had to empty the tub and fill it again ten times before the soap was all washed out of my fur. By that time, I was so cold and exhausted that I could not move, and they began to think I should die. But your mother rolled me up into one of your old flannel petticoats and made a nice bed for me behind the stove. By this time, even Mary began to seem sorry for me, though she was very cross at first, and hurt me much more than she need to in watching me. Now she said, You're nothing but a poor beast of a cat, to be sure, but it's myself that would be sorry to have the little mistress come back and find your kilt. So you see your love for me did me service, even when you were so far away. I doubt very much whether they would have ever taken the trouble to nurse me through this sickness except for your sake, but I must leave the rest for my next letter. I am not strong enough yet to write more than two hours at a time. Your affectionate pussy. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing a cat's perspective of life. Sheesh, this cat has it hard, right? In fairness, the cat did almost drown in soap, which is awful. But the imagery that was conjured by Helen Hart had me imagining the entire scene from both the cat's perspective and the human's. 
I found it really funny though when Caesar just cheesed it out of there whilst mewing, you're on your own love, whilst the drowning cat was just left there to ponder her demise. But also understood and had enough emotional range to know that there was nothing he could do. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I certainly had a lot of fun narrating it, and I hope you had just as much fun listening to it. No plug today, mates. Just enjoy your Friday. Take the load off. Take it easy. And as always, till next, we meet.